The views and opinions of the EDGE podcast do not necessarily represent those of Education USA, U.S. Department of State, or the U.S. government. Welcome to The Edge, the Education USA Global Exchange Podcast, broadcasting from the central nervous system of our global network, Washington, D.C. Hi, I'm William, and welcome to The Edge. If you've ever taken a writing course, you've probably heard this, show, don't tell. It refers to using details and emotions to allow a reader to understand a writer's message or meaning. But it's a handy rule of thumb for any medium in which you're looking to communicate with an audience. It means trusting your audience. It means trusting your idea. If you communicate at work, you've probably thought about this. How do I convince this audience to believe what I'm saying? Not because I'm saying it, but because it's true. And even if I'm persuasive, how will I carve out a space to actually reach people? Finding what the students need and trying to connect with them on their level is the best way that we have seen here to connect with new students as well as ongoing students. If you've ever wanted answers to these questions, well, I have too. And so far I haven't found a magical solution, but I have been able to ask more interesting questions and in the process point myself in the right direction. So so one of the challenges is letting people know that it's for them, that it's still something that's amazing to do. It's looking at the needs of of the students, the wants, are they exchanges, you know, um, do they want to go as an undergrad, do they want to go as a graduate student? There's so much information on the internet, all the time, everywhere, and it is being constantly thrown in their faces. So A, it can be hard to, you know, grab or maintain their attention and to make your content stand out, to get your message across. And B, sometimes they get a lot of misinformation and and assume that as a fact, which sometimes makes it hard for us to, you know, deconstruct and course correct. Today on The Edge, our focus is communication. First, we'll examine one method of communicating the U.S. higher education experience to an international student audience, the student journey. Using authenticity and transparency to engage the hearts and minds of students so they can say, I can do that too. Next, we'll contextualize this in a discussion about the internet, social media, and finding students on their own terms. Thanks for joining us. Your bike skids to a halt. Bounding up the steps of your concrete apartment building, you take out your keys, unlock the door, and put your backpack down. School is rough. It's been hours since you've eaten, so you head into the kitchen for a quick snack. Sitting at the table munching, you decide to take out your phone and open Instagram. This, of course, assumes you have access to a mobile phone, one you can use regularly, and one that has reliable internet access. You scroll past pictures of your friends at school, a musician you like who's released a new single, and a list of opening hours from the restaurant on the other side of your small town. Like, like, like. 
And then you see it. A white square with lines and lines of text, a small photo of somewhere with a green lawn and old stone buildings, a clip art thumbs up sign, and a long web URL for an event about financial aid to college in America. I don't know what that is, you think, and scroll right on past. The doorbell rings, and you put away your phone. Besides, you have to carve out time on your family's computer to finish a paper due tomorrow. 3,000 miles away, Jody Advisor, well-intentioned coordinator of the International Student Services Department of Rhombus University, has diligently put all of the department's upcoming Zoom webinars on Instagram, a platform that Jody knows attracts high schoolers and young adults. She used the department's Canva account to create an image, added a picture of campus, the name of the webinar, and some clip art. She hashtagged scholarship and international, uploaded the graphic, clicked share, and waited for the registrations to roll in. Alas, registrations hit 23 after the first two days and never increase. She spent three months planning this event and brought in admissions counselors, international students, and financial aid reps to discuss why Rhombus is the right Midwest university for international students, both affordable and excellent at post-graduation placement. What happened? Why has Jody, despite her best intentions, missed her target audience? And why has this high school student just missed an opportunity to imagine their future in the United States? My name is Vincent Flores. A lot of people know me as Vinny Flores. I am the Regional Educational Advising Coordinator for Northeast Asia and the Pacific, and that covers Japan, Korea, Taiwan, Mongolia, and the Pacific Islands. Um, been with Education USA since 2010, 2009, 2010. Uh, I'm based in Seoul, Korea. I have been here for over 20 years since 2000 as a Fulbrighter, and then with Education USA, and I've been REACT since 2016. So, Vinny, today we're talking about international student recruitment, but what we're really talking about is how to communicate with students. How to give students a 10,000-foot perspective of what life in the United States is like, what being a student at a college or university is like. And it's not always as simple as providing information and hoping a student listens. So I wanted to get a baseline of what you see as a challenge for attracting students from your region to the United States. One of the challenges in these big sending countries is that... um, it's no longer a novelty to go to the United States. I mean, it's still pretty cool. It's still amazing. But um, tens of thousands of students at this point, hundreds of thousands of students have gone. Um, so uh, we get um, so so one of the challenges is letting people know that it's for them, that it's still something that's amazing to do. It's looking at the needs of of the students, the wants, are they exchanges, you know, um, do they want to go as an undergrad? Do they want to go as a graduate student? Um, so we, we get we are introducing United States education for the first time to many students and some of these students in in regions where maybe it's not the capital or a big city um, are learning and saying, oh, wow, I can go. Um, And in other cases, they're like, I know. (laughs) Like what you're telling me, we already know, like give me a little more help. Um, Okay, so then do you see a, a typical student profile across your regions Someone that you're you're typically thinking of when you put together communications or social media, and and maybe if not in terms of demographics, then maybe in terms of of wants or needs. 
just really, there isn't a really a typical student, but um, in terms of wanting to go to the United States, I think a lot of people want to go. Um, how much information is available in country is one of the big differences. And the U.S. higher ed um, recruitment presence in the different countries is, is one, of the, one of the big differences in my region. Right. So, so we don't necessarily have one type of student, at least in Northeast Asia and the Pacific, but we're still sort of depending on institutional interest and institutions having the right approach to capturing a student's imagination. Do you have any takeaways or tips of what really speaks to students? When you can, whether or not you can get their faces, I think the content and how you reach um, our audiences is, is very important. So in my countries that have less U.S. higher ed representation, the doing a fair, doing um, an info session, the traditional thing that we often do, talking about U.S. admissions, those are going to be received very, very well um, because they're, it's an unsaturated market and people are hungry for that information. There are schools that have never seen it before. It's new, it's bold, it's, it's, it's still a novelty and, and we'll take it, you know, um, try to do fun things, but you know, those, those things will, will work in, in, in the Pacific in Mongolia, for example. Um, I would say in Taiwan, Korea and Japan, um, thinking outside the box is really important because you have a lot of people that already have information. So what are you going to offer that's different? You know, if you're just going to talk about your school and they've never heard of your school before, or if you're just going to talk about how to choose a school when, you know, they could they could go to many sources about how to choose a school or they can learn about um, the common app or admissions in so many different ways. So um, in my region, for example, we're trying to reach we're trying to go where we haven't gone before and talk to people who haven't even thought about talking to us. Um, so could you do something on soft skills like interview skills or writing skills that maybe do a session that doesn't necessarily mention study in the United States, but offers something for a lot of people? Um, if you're an art school, could you offer to do a master class, um, whether it's painting or whether it's performing arts? Um, an engineering school could do a workshop for students on on gaming or, or something like that, or reach out to local partners and and do something that's fun and interesting hands on. Um, try to think of ways that are not just how to study in the United States or about my institution um, and try to think where are we, like where have we never reached out before and how are we going to get um, the, these virtual people in the seats or these people in the seats when we get there. Um, because I think when you say learn how to study in the United States, you've already got an audience that's pretty much considering it um, and that's a good audience to reach. But the challenge in the three top sending countries in particular is reaching the people who have never thought about it. And I think we have to offer, offer them something more than just the traditional presentation. So, so I think that's, you know, that's a challenge for us at education USA as well, but, um, you know, try to, you know, talk to local people. That's again, why that representation is important. Talk to them and say, you know, what could we do that will get people in the seats? Um, and that will, that will help tremendously with us as well, because it's easier for us to receive in the saturated countries, um, the very popular markets, something that's fun and interesting rather than just, you know, let, let's talk, talk about the school. Um, they've heard so many of the, of, of those sessions before. Um, it, it's time to, it's really time to shake it up. What I think Vinny is alluding to is creating a compelling narrative for students to latch on to. 
It works for recruitment, but I really think it's most at home in communications and social media. And it's what we like to call the student journey. The student journey is the experience of discovering, thinking, deciding, and successfully applying to a U.S. institution. For our purposes, it includes the on-campus experience of choosing a major, taking classes, having a social life, graduating, and moving forward into the world as a uniquely qualified young person with the ability to make their own path. Student journey is no, no doubt in my mind, the best way to talk to students on social media. Um, that is a fact. We have pretty good numbers on our Instagram. We have, you know, 15,000 followers. Our average posts on um, educational content events average between 80, 150 likes maybe. But as soon as we post a student success story on the feed or a student reel, skyrockets. For posts, it's been anywhere from 300 to 800 likes. Reels, four or 5,000. Um, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. More than anything else, this narrative is what allows a prospective college student to have the ambition to move far away from home and family, speak a new language, learn new customs, and make a serious financial commitment. If you don't show the student why they should care and follow this path, they won't follow through. Hearing from people that went through or are going through, you know, literally the exact same thing as them and made it gives them, you know, the confidence to dream and to believe that they can do it too. As communicators, it's our job to distill these complex ideas and information into visuals and text that encourage prospective students to make the leap and emotionally invest in this future. We do this through photos, visuals, student testimonials, video, narration, and through a bunch of other tools. We bring campus and the feelings and experiences an international student has on campus to the viewer. Easy, right? We know what a student journey is. We know we want to reach students where they are. And we want to produce content that is engaging and relevant. But how? Coming up on The Edge, we discuss the double-edged sword that is the internet and how it plays into reaching students. Stay tuned. Greetings from Education USA Mongolia. Mongolia is full of bright and hopeful prospective students who are eager to learn more about study opportunities in the United States. With ever-increasing English literacy and various financing options, many young Mongolians are looking for world-class higher education opportunities abroad. However, most Mongolians are familiar with only a handful of U.S. colleges. So put your school on the radar of these potential students by getting involved with us. Annually, we reach out to about 8,000 students through our various virtual and in-person activities. Additionally, if your institute already has Mongolian students or alumni, you can get even more exposure by having them join our outreach or join our podcast series, which has over a million views and downloads. The Education USA Mongolia team would love to work with you and help bring more Mongolian students to your campus. Contact us through our Facebook page at Education USA Mongolia. You may be familiar with a new piece of technology. It's called the internet. 
If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you've used the internet for many years at work, school, and in your personal life. It may be a seamless and integral part of your everyday experience and how you see the world. The internet is ubiquitous, but not everywhere. According to the World Bank's data catalog, as of 2019, there were 4.37 billion active internet users worldwide, which makes up 56.7% of the global population. When you break down internet usage by region, it gets even more interesting. According to Our World in Data, an online scientific publication based at the University of Oxford, the share of each continent's population using the internet regularly is, in descending order, as follows. In North America, 78%. Europe and Central Asia, 73%. Latin America and the Caribbean, 57%. East Asia and the Pacific, 53%. The Middle East and North Africa, 48%. South Asia is 26%. And Sub-Saharan Africa, 20%. The world average is 46%. Therefore, Approximately less than half of the world's population has regular access to the internet. If you're a high school student in Islamabad or Johannesburg, that figure could be closer to one-fifth of the population. Despite this, many countries, including India, Bangladesh, Cote d'Ivoire, Ghana, and Malawi, have doubled the number of users in the last three years alone. That means that thousands, if not millions, of users have just begun regularly using and consuming the internet more than 30 years after adoption in other locations. Why am I listing facts about internet usage? To borrow another phrase because the medium is the message. Try as we might, we cannot unlink what we are trying to say from how we are saying it. And that means being carefully informed about the ways in which young people are consuming information around the world. It means that hoping the ways higher education administrators at a research university in California communicate information are the same as a 15-year-old in Nairobi is, well, not the best bet. To get a better sense of how students are using the internet, I sat down virtually with two Education USA advisors who have experience working with students through digital channels. My name is Marina Martin Zaid. Um, I'm an Education USA advisor in Brazil, more specifically in Rio de Janeiro. Um, I did not originally um, in college think that I was going to end up working in international education. I actually went to law school, but through a series of events, um, I ended up at Education USA. I joined the team in December of 2020. So I am a pandemic Education USA member. The first time I went to my office was a month and a half ago. Um, I was hired to work as an advisor and a fair coordinator and initially only online events, which, which were great. And I also ended up working as the social media manager for the Education USA Brazil social media, um, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, basically those three. And I also work as an advisor. I work with the Opportunity Funds Program. My name is Anasini Cariello, and I am the Education USA advisor in Montevideo, Uruguay. I have been working here for four years now as the Education USA advisor. And I'm originally from Cleveland, Ohio, grew up in Ohio my whole life, went to Ohio State University, and moved to Uruguay about four years ago 
where I also have family. So I've been able to have that cross-cultural experience as well, coming back to Uruguay. And on a daily basis, I love to help out students. We have different advising programs, but I also run the social media page for Education USA Uruguay, as well as the website. So I've been able to have a wide range of tasks as my time throughout my time as an advisor. Let's talk a little about the state of internet access in your country. Would you say that it's your primary method of communication with students? So here in Brazil, um, social media is rampant. I think Brazil is one of the countries that has more phones, cellular devices than people. Um, and, and so social media use is heavy. Facebook is still extremely popular. I think Facebook technically is still number one. Um, but, and then we have to take into consideration demographics. So it, it does, Facebook is number one because of the older crowd. Um, and then we have Instagram, you know, there is TikTok, which is all the rage between the, the Gen Zers. And, but thank God Instagram has adopted the reels. And so we have that functionality on Instagram as well. Um, LinkedIn is sometimes forgotten gotten about when we talk about social media and social networks, but I think it can be very useful. It just depends on the crowd and the topic. So for example, all of our graduate subjects, uh, we make sure to talk about on LinkedIn because they are people that are older. There are people that are already working. They're in the professional world already, um, but they still want to study in the United States. They still want to work um, on developing, you know, their career and get a master's, an MBA or a PhD. And so the graduate subject is also, very, it's very important to keep, um, you know, feeding that into LinkedIn. Um, and I cannot forget, technically the biggest network in Brazil is WhatsApp. Every single Brazilian person has WhatsApp on their phone. Literally, I think I think it's my grandmother has WhatsApp. My grandmother uses WhatsApp and she's 88. Um, and so that is something that we had to realize was very important. And not every region in Brazil has the bandwidth to log into Instagram and see our feed and see our events, but they do have the bandwidth for WhatsApp. So in Uruguay, the internet is generally very accessible for students and for the general population, which we have seen a great increase since 2009 when the government put in place a program called Plan Ceval, which provided laptop computers for every student in the country and also internet, internet access for every student in the country. So that definitely helped with the development and the access to the internet. And actually there's uh, there's a statistic that 83% of the total population, that's the penetration rate for internet use in Uruguay in 2022. So pretty high if we're looking at the total population. So you both heavily rely on the internet for connecting with students and tailor your content accordingly. The big question, and maybe we don't have a clear answer, but the big question is, what should we be doing to get young people in your countries to care about studying abroad or learning English, about becoming more aware of the world outside of their community? So in Brazil, the majority of the students that are looking to pursue higher education in the United States are people looking for an undergraduate degree. Um, in Brazil, for the last two years, that's been around seven to 8,000 
um, students looking for undergraduate versus the steady 4,000 for graduate, um, which means the majority of our, our audience, they're teenagers. They are, let's say, between 16 and 21. They're Gen Zers. They were literally born with smartphones and tablets in their hands. They're the original digital natives. So we found that the most effective way to reach them is through a screen. And it is by talking to them, not in with them, not at them. Um, so inviting students to be a part of the conversation is, is something that we found works really well. And their attention span is relatively short for things that they don't actively look for because, you know, We've seen teenagers watch other people playing video games for hours on end. But when they're scrolling on their phone and something is just showing up, their attention span is pretty short. And so they want is something that's quick and informative and entertaining and that they can easily share with someone, that they can easily replicate. So that's where, you know, Reels comes in. It's 30 seconds or maybe 60 seconds of very condensed information that they hopefully possibly did not know and that we're now giving them. And they're like, oh, wow, this is cool. This is something that I can use in my process for the application or, oh, now I know where to look for that kind of information. Um, so that's something that we have found that our students are looking for is short, sweet information that's also entertaining. Students have moved away from the general. They want to hear the specific details. I think that they have a good grasp on the general ideas. And so when someone comes in and gives a presentation on what are the different pieces of the U.S. application process, and it's just a general list of what they need to do, it's not beneficial to the student. They can find that online reading or on our Education USA website. So what they benefit from more is those very specific presentations or those very specific events that can talk about something that they could connect with. I think one of the best things uh, one of the best tools they can use is the question box. Um, students like to ask questions. They have a thousand questions. And by getting a question, two things happen. One, you get the chance to give them the information that they want and consequentially to other people that are going to see that as well. And two, you get to understand what maybe you're not necessarily getting across or what they feel is lacking and maybe you could give more information on. So it's, it's kind of a twofer because if you're, you're doing a lot of posts about the application process and then students are asking constantly about, but what is the dorm situation like? Then you realize, A, I'm not talking enough about this. And so I need to maybe talk a little bit more about that. And B, you give the information. And when one student asks a question, that is one person that had the courage to sit down and write their question that maybe sometimes they think is silly, but there are 10 others who have the same question and didn't even get the courage to, to say it. And so when you answer one question, you're not answering just one question, you're answering 30. And, and so that is one tool that I think is very effective. With our Uruguayan students, we have seen a great change over the past few years that we've been growing our social media presence and sharing more success stories of students from Uruguay who are studying in the U.S., and that's something that truly inspires them and shows them that it is possible to study in the U.S. But we've also seen this in a few different ways. So 
Some students actually reach out to universities and ask to be connected with international students who are currently studying at the institution. And when they have those conversations and get to talk one-on-one -on -one with a student who went through the same process as them just a few years ago, it can give them inspiration to apply to that university or to universities in the US in general. And also it helps them to feel confident in the fact that it is possible to study in the US. I think it's also a great way for those students to truly learn about the university when they get to talk to students or if they join a webinar and see there's another student from Latin America who's sharing their experience. Those, those experiences are much more impactful for the students than perhaps just seeing a general idea of what studying at the university is like. They love to hear those specific personalized stories that show that it could be them in a few years. We may be discussing social media, but it's important to contextualize not only the medium, but also the specific tools being used. When you hear Marina and Anna discussing their use of social media, you may imagine a laptop with an internet browser. That isn't always the case. Enter the mobile phone. For many countries and communities, the mobile phone is the internet. According to the World Advertising Research Center, there are approximately 3.9 billion mobile users worldwide as of 2019. Of the total, 51% or 2 billion people currently access the internet via only their smartphone. Most of the growth in smartphone use will come from China, India, Indonesia, Nigeria, and Pakistan. This trend continues across developing countries. According to the Pew Research Center, the median population across 11 developing and emerging economies that has access to a smartphone is 53%. What does this mean? It means that the widespread adoption and use of the mobile phone, as well as social media's dual function as information source and entertainment, makes it the best communications tool we currently possess. In the Pacific, that may mean being very careful about which platforms to target. Here's React Vinny Flores again. Social media is big in the Pacific Islands. It, um, the only thing I'll say is it, it takes, it, it's different in every market. Um, uh, you know, Instagram is big across the board, but uh, uh, one of my extreme examples is Papua New Guinea. Um, you know, very large population, big island, um, certainly lots of interest, but it has the most expensive internet in the world. And that's not just per the it's not just expensive internet per the the average income in Papua New Guinea it's objectively the most expensive internet in the world um so when you engage with Papua New Guinea expect to use Facebook because it's cheaper for them it's a, it's a lower price it can be free and the um the telecommunications company um companies they offer Facebook at a cheaper rate so when our advisor does uh, her outreach, we she does it through Facebook. She does webinars and got hundreds of views, hundreds of shares of these videos and a very, very enviable Facebook followership. Um, I, I think Papua New Guinea's Facebook followership blows away my other countries for sure. Or maybe maybe rivaled by Mongolia. Um, and then if you're looking at other countries, you know, we've We've had virtual, we had a virtual fair in Fiji um, and it was simple. It was using Zoom or we reaching out through um, through social media and um, they're big on Instagram as well. Um, so it really depends on where you're reaching. Um, 
one thing to keep in mind is that some students in these countries don't have don't necessarily have laptops um, but they may have access to computer labs at their schools or they may have access to smartphones and mobile devices so um, reaching out to education USA and figuring out which uh, platform is going to be the most useful is important so if you're going to do something a virtual event that's not going to look so good on a mobile device and that's the main means of communication with with one of those islands, it's then you need to rethink the strategy. So, so you know, it always starts with reaching out to Education USA, but um, but certainly we are, you know, the Pacific Islands are online, and um, and it just depends on the audience and how to reach them. But we can help you out with that. East Asia, it, obviously, we have fantastic, uh, fantastic broadband internet capability. We've got five G. We are all over the place. Very very high internet. Um, high internet usage, high internet and mobile penetration. So we've got um, a very active, very vibrant, very dynamic um, East Asian internet usage culture. Um, it, it differs somewhat in in different countries. And um, how does it differ? It's it's partly in platform. You've got countries that maybe use one a little bit over another. I'd say all of them use Instagram pretty heavily. Some of them, I think Mongolia would use Facebook probably a little bit more um, than the others. I think the demographics for Facebook, um, it, it, it sort of mirrors what it might be in other countries where Facebook is sort of a slightly older audience, but that's not necessarily true in every single country. But Instagram is, is very, very popular. YouTube is extremely popular. Um, so when reaching out or, or looking at the internet culture of of these countries, there's a huge influencer culture across East Asia, my countries and beyond. In South America, Marina and Anna have tapped into the power of Instagram to engage students. It's great to give students information about what a higher education institution campus looks like in the United States. You know, it is our duty to tell them you're going to have a department for international students that is going to help you navigate your life there. It's great to say, look, they have five different dorms and they all have different types of students and you're going to live in one of them. But in truth, nothing is better than showing them what that looks like. And so one thing that we started doing, which is is very fun, even for us to see, is to ask um, former students, former advisees that are already there on campus and living their life and, you know, going to school to do a sort of Instagram takeover on our own Instagram. Obviously, we don't give them our Instagram, but we tell them to film their day, um, the whole entire process of their day and what they do and what a normal day for them looks like from, you know, the stories selfie point of view. And, and then we, we repost that on our stories. So we'll announce it. Like, of course, you have to contact the student, ask if they agree, everything like that. And then we'll announce it. We'll be like, oh, X student from Y University is going to do an Instagram takeover. And these students, of course, uh, it's not everyone, but the, the ones we contact, they are more than happy to show that because sometimes they'll say like, oh, I wish someone had done this when I was applying because it would have been great to see and so they are super dedicated to their takeover. I mean, sometimes we need to cut down on videos because sometimes they will literally go from, hi, I woke up and I'm brushing my teeth to, okay, now I'm putting my jammies on. 
and it's like over 80 videos, but it's very cool to see, you know, hi, I'm waking up. This is my dorm. Now this is what um, eating at the university looks like. And now look at this classroom and this classroom has this and this classroom has that. And I love this professor. This class is amazing. Now I'm going to run to the library and do my homework for three hours. But afterwards I have an RA meeting. Do you guys know what an RA is? An RA is blah, blah, blah. And so they show what their life looks like. And the students that are watching this are like, that is what my life can be like. And they also, these kids are so smart and they do so many things. And so they talk about the research also that they're doing at the university. They talk about the opportunities that they have and the resources that are available. And it's just so much more interesting to hear that and see that from a person who is there than from text that someone wrote for you. So at our Education USA office in Uruguay, using social media has been key to connect with students, especially over the last two years during the pandemic. And we have seen our highest successes on Instagram, more so than Facebook or Twitter, which we've also used in the past. So by far, our posts that get the most interactions, the most comments, the most likes are our student success stories. So for any student who works with us in the Education USA office and shares their story with us at the end of their process, we share their story on social media where we post a picture of the student along with where they're going to be studying for the next four years or the next two years if they're doing a master's degree. Those posts have seen a lot of interactions, I think, because Uruguayan students love to see someone that they can they love to see someone that they can relate to on social media and see that studying in the U.S. really is possible for them. In the past, they might have seen that studying in the U.S. was a possibility, but now over the past two, three years, we've seen so many more Uruguayans studying in the U.S. and sharing their stories on social media. So we've gotten a lot more attention at our Education USA Center because of that. And students are really getting excited and seeing that it truly is possible when they can, instead of seeing, for example, a student from a country in another continent going to the U.S. to study, they see someone from down the road or from a nearby city in Uruguay who is now studying in the U.S. Another type of post that has gotten a lot of traction and a lot of interaction are our Instagram Lives, which we also do with current students that are studying in the U.S., they might give us a tour of their dorm room or a tour of the campus. They might just talk about their experiences, about living with a roommate or their favorite class from freshman year. And we can see that the students really interact, both asking questions and as well as commenting on what they love to hear about the students' experiences in the U.S. And yet, as the numbers make clear, not everyone has access to the Internet to the same degree. How do we balance technology with casting the widest possible net? So during the last two years, everything has had to be virtual. And before the pandemic, people were a little averse to virtual events. They didn't think it was engaging. And so when we saw ourselves thrown into this scenario where that's the only option we had in the beginning, you know, we were kind of running around trying to figure it out. But after we as a society got into the rhythm of it. I think it was very good in the aspect of accessibility. 
So for example, in-person events, Brazil is a very large country. Brazil has 27 states. It is a continental country. It's the fifth largest country in the world. When we have in-person events, they go at best to seven, nine cities, but there are thousands and thousands of students in other states and other cities that don't have the chance, they, they can't go to these places. So when we started having online events and especially the online fairs, we had a couple virtual fairs and I'm also in uh, the fair coordinator and I was looking at the numbers after the event had finished and we had events where we had students from every single state in the country. We had Brazilian people who were in Japan and also wanted to participate. We had people from Portuguese speaking countries in Africa. So we always, we started to see this trend where we had a lot of students from Mozambique who were logging into our Portuguese events and to our virtual fairs. And so that accessibility, that, that the chance that was given to so many other people to receive that information because it was online was very, very important and, and pretty incredible. I want to end by giving each of our guests the chance to offer their final thoughts on reaching students. How should we be moving forward knowing the challenges we face? The big countries aren't going anywhere. Definitely reach out to them, shake it up if you can. Um, obviously, Mongolia is a great country to reach out to. Um, but you know, if you're reaching to the big countries, find something that you're not doing and do it. Um, you can't just do the same thing over and over again. But the future really is in the Pacific. It's an absolutely untapped market. There isn't much interest, even from foreign governments, from foreign recruitment presences. We don't see that much of that there. So it really does mean something for an institution to go there and say, you are important. We want to see you in our schools. We want to give you information and we welcome you. Um, so I really think whether it's virtual, whether you're going in person, where they're making connections with partners, the Pacific is the place to be for, for my region. The Pacific is the place to be if you want a quick return on investment and you want people to be at these, at these events, um, find some way to work the Pacific into your recruitment strategy. So with the pandemic, I think here in Uruguay, just like probably all around the world, students have become a little bit burned out with webinars and being connected online all day, every day. And they have much more of a quick and fast learning method that they're looking for, shorter videos or unique aspects that they can connect to. So I think what we've seen our students connect to the most at universities is not necessarily that general information webinar where they learn a little bit about every aspect of the university. They truly connect with those universities that can share something that is so unique to their campus. So whether that be that you have a co-op program or you offer specific research in a specific area that maybe some students had never heard about, um, we see that students really grasp onto those specific webinars and those specific social media posts that can share something unique about the school. And even going one step further than that, rather than just talking about a topic, actually showing the students, like what we ask them to do in their essays, show, not tell, uh, it's kind of showing something about the university rather than just telling about it. So if they could take them into a research lab or have a student share their specific story or even do a question and answer session with current students, I think that the students have a lot more benefit from those experiences 
when they can truly feel what it would be like to be a student on that campus. I think one of the biggest takeaways is that social media has made itself essential. We use it for everything in our work life. We use it for everything in our personal life. And of course, there are negatives in, in every aspect uh, of it. But our job right now is to make it work for us and make, and make it a tool to help promote higher education in the United States. And it is a great tool for that. Uh, the audience that is listening to, the audience that we want to listen to that and to know about these opportunities and to know that it is possible to go to a higher education institution in the United States, they are looking at their phones. They are looking at the screen on their laptop. And so we have to find a way to talk to them and bring them into the conversation and make them see that, you know, studying in the United States is not as hard as it, as it seems. We can help them with that. It is possible. Other kids do it just like them. And so they can too. And they can count on us to help them get there. In the end, we can't guarantee that every student around the world will be interested in studying in the United States. We can't guarantee they will see every tweet and ad we place or attend every application workshop we hold. We can, however, control the medium and message we put out into the world. We can prioritize working with local schools, advisors, and students themselves to provide the information they need and want and use these insights to guide our work in bringing together students, faculty, and administrators. In short, we can meet students where they are and help guide them to where they want to be. Thanks for joining us, and see you next time on The Edge.